Like so much of the economy right now, the U.S. restaurant industry is in dire straits, particularly high-end dine-in restaurants that aren't allowed to be open as the coronavirus pandemic grinds on. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you are listening to a special episode of the AdLib podcast recorded remotely. Today, we're cross-posting one of our other podcasts, Marketer's Brief, with a look at how restaurateurs are navigating these days of COVID-19 in creative ways. Chicago-based restaurant executive and author Nick Kukonis has prepared his restaurants like Alinea, which he co-founded, as well as others with moves that include a shift to carry out something that until now was unheard of for high-end eateries. Ad Age's Jessica Wool spoke with Kakonis about the moves he has made and what he sees for the restaurant industry going forward. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Marketer's Brief. Hi, Jessica. Great to be here. And by here, you mean at home, in your home in Chicago, correct? I am safely ensconced in my home in Chicago. When did you start working at home? Uh, God, you know, it's kind of funny to ask. I'm not sure. I think it was two and a half weeks ago. Okay. It was ahead of the, the shelter in place orders because our office, my offices for both the Alinea group and talk, um, we, we, we decided ahead of time before it was mandated to, to, uh, work from home. Which was now seems to be the right call. Who knew a few weeks ago that we would all be working from our home offices. Um, and it's a crazy time in every industry, especially the restaurant industry. So maybe we could start off, if you could tell me a little bit about the early days, what you were seeing in the coronavirus. What were you seeing at the properties you work with in other countries through talk, And how did that perhaps help you to prepare your plans here? Yeah, it definitely did. And, and for your listeners, before I was in the restaurant business and, and reservation software, I, I was a derivatives trader, um, which seems irrelevant, but I was used to looking at big, big pools of data and looking for patterns. And also it really trains you to think, to see the world as it is, not as you wish it were, (laughs) Um, because you just have to do that. You have to be brutally honest with yourself. So um, in February, um, we started noticing patterns of, well, first of all, we have clients in Hong Kong that use talk. And obviously, when Hong Kong um, uh, did their shelter in place, obviously, all the reservations went to zero. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't hard to see the drop off because it went from places that were sold out most nights to simply not being open. Um, But even in early March, we started seeing on the West Coast, mostly in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, Reductions of, you know, first 5%, then 10%, then 20% in in places that were always sold out. Um, And then we would get sort of some of the emails in to talk from customers who, you know, should have contacted the restaurant but didn't know and said, well, I I can't travel to Seattle right now. Like I was going to be in New York, but I'm, I'm not coming. So I'd like a refund, you know. So those started seeing it. Um, you know, early March. And I think on March 6th, I tweeted something. Yeah, I tweeted something to the effect of like, the restaurant industry is about to be decimated. It's 4% of GDP. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, frankly, not that hard to see this all coming, unfortunately. Um, And that's when we started making all the contingency plans for both the restaurants and for talk. And then you had to shut down the dining rooms that you run, obviously Alinea, 
and Next and the other restaurants. Yeah, and even before we did that, we put four different contingency plans in place. You know, one where, oh, it doesn't, this isn't going to hit Chicago, and but our business will be down 30% because people won't be able to travel. Um, all the way to, you know, intermittent steps, and then all the way to we are forced to close. Um, so we had all those plans, and it was, you know, within seconds of the governor mandating that we close, we were just like, okay, plan D it is, you know. Um, not not that any of them were were particularly, you know, wonderful plans. It was just that you you have to have some plan to deal with it, right? Right. And so you had to go with the most drastic of of the plans, which was to shut down. Yeah. Uh, so how many people as a result of that have been furloughed or otherwise no longer working at the restaurants? Well, that's that's a that's an interesting question in our case because a lot of our employees are back to work already. Um, we, our plan was to, well, so we studied sort of what benefits can we pay people and have them still get unemployment? How can we properly furlough people? How can we cycle people back to work? Um, that's best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, in our plan, we, we had studied weeks ahead, um, all the legalities around doing that sort of thing in a way that made it as, as comfortable and as beneficial to our employees as possible. So we have about 300 employees in Chicago. And within seconds of the governor's order, we furloughed all 300, um, with the exception of HR, legal, things like that. Um, the previous weeks, all of the ownership and management already took their salaries down to zero um, because we saw this all coming. And so we wanted to lead by example and say, this is, we're in this with you and this is what we're going to do. We then um, also gave every single employee a thousand dollar stipend um, just to get them a little ahead of the curve. And then three days later, we started doing um, carry out food. We, we cycled back to everyone is equal. Everyone's going to make $15 an hour. Um, and whether you're the head chef or you're a dishwasher, you're making 15 bucks an hour. And we're going to do as much food as we can safely do for both ourselves and the community. And then we're going to take any money that we make doing that, and we're going to pool it for everybody so that we can share it when we are able to hire everyone back and reopen. So we're going to keep a fund for reopening, and we're going to, we're going to um, give further stipends to all of our employees. If we give employees a stipend right now while they're on unemployment, they can't, we can't do that. So we have to wait till we hire them back. So we're cycling people through essentially um, so that we can hire them back. They get an extra thousand bucks the day they walk in the door kind of thing, all of that. So by doing that, you have people who are back in the restaurants making $15 an hour, preparing these takeout meals, which we can talk about in a little bit. But how did you communicate all of this to your employees? Because that's a lot for people to absorb when early on, perhaps it didn't seem so dire. Now, a few weeks in, I think, obviously people realize the entire restaurant industry has been hit. But early on, how, how, you know, how did you go about communicating all of this? Uh, about two weeks before we, we were mandated to close and before this was declared a pandemic, we brought in every single one of the managers at our restaurants and I laid out what I thought was going to happen. 
Um, and I, I prefaced it by saying, I really hope I'm wrong. And you people all think I'm an idiot in, in a few weeks. Um, and I'm totally comfortable with that. But in the meantime, we need to do temperature checks of every single employee. So weeks before this became, you know, a mandated shutdown and shelter in place, we were already doing temperature checks of every single employee. No one could get in the building without a temperature check. Hourly mandated hand washing that's monitored and logged um, and um, as much spacing as we could possibly do um, back then while we were still open. Um, it wasn't honestly that hard to see. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like some of our leadership didn't see it, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we had that in place weeks ahead. The, the folks that thought that we were overreacting, I fired them flat out because I couldn't have somebody in there not following those protocols and getting someone sick. Um, it was only two people, but mm. they were gone. So two managers? And, or uh, I don't want to say just, but, you know, but yeah, I mean, two people were basically like, this is bullshit and like said it in front of people. And I was just like, okay, well, I'll show you. Uh, you know, it's not, and this is a serious situation. I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel that way somewhere else. <laughs> so, um, so that's terrible. But like, that's I've lived through 9/11 as a as a trader. You know, 0809 in the restaurant industry. Um, th- these things are happen every 10 years. Like people think that that you don't get like, this is some sort of black swan or something like that. And it's, it's really not like people have been talking about this happening for many, many years. Right. you're speaking from experience. You have the experience as a trader, you have the experience going through the recession as a restaurant operator. Yeah. You have to be prepared for these sorts of scenarios. Right. And if you're wrong, you, you were prepared and you didn't, nothing bad happened. Terrific. I think people like love to be right more than they love to be, you know, prepared. Um, and so, so when we, you know, I think by the time we, we had to furlough everyone, our company was, you know, pretty well educated about what was going on. And um, also, you know, we, we, we told them, like, we got you. Like, we're, we're going to, we're not going to rely on, you know, uh, waiting for insurance to pay out or, or like, I hope all those things happen, mind you. Please don't take that the wrong way. Like, I want the industry to, to get support and investment. Um, but I also want to be able to be as self-reliant as possible. And so we started making plans right away to figure out how to be self-reliant. So how did the idea come about to move to a takeout model? I think anyone who's familiar with your restaurants knows that they are not typically a, a carryout atmosphere. You're talking about several course meals that people pay hundreds of dollars far in advance to to partake in. So Talk to me about the, the the shift there. Yeah, I I have to give some credit to Brian Canlis in Seattle. Um, their curve was a couple of weeks ahead of ours in Chicago, and you know his I think his mindset is very similar. So when they saw their reservations going down, 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 they went, "Well, let, let's treat it like a pop up." Like they do these cool pop-ups for New Year's Eve and for in the summer and stuff. And so they're like, hey, you know, we're going to have to do like a drive-through. And they really quickly had, had uh, you know, called us up and said, we, we're trying to 
use talk and the inventory control of tables to control the inventory of carryout food. And it's not quite working. And so we sat down with our engineers and designers and I was already kind of like, hey, this is going to hit the whole country. And we're a business that relies on restaurant reservations um, on the on the talk side of things. So in talking to Brian, like we spent six days, 24 hours a day with 20 people building out the data infrastructure for talk to do talk to go and things that would normally take months of work we did in, in six days. Um, and, and it worked, you know, like we had five restaurants up and running on day seven. Um, so similarly during all of that, I was going, I was talking to Grant Ackett and some of our team members and just saying, guys, like we need to figure out this carryout thing because we're going to be closed for months. And I will, I will say that most everybody looked at me like I was completely off my rocker. And but isn't that how they normally look at you? No, no, no. Well, I, that's, I mean, look, Grant and I, Grant's off his rocker too, in certain respects. Um, and that, that's a good thing. But no, I think, I think what I normally, I don't tell people what to do. I try to guide them to doing their own thing. Like I've become a better manager in the last 10 years, right? So I don't normally just go, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. I kind of let things evolve and, and guide them. Um, this was not that. This was, hey, there is no restaurant. There are no chefs. There, is, there are no tables. There are no customers. Tomorrow, we start over from scratch, and we need to open on Friday. And that was on Monday. And Grant started thinking up like pretty you know, like a linear like ideas for home delivery and carry out. And Alex, who's our business development manager, templated out like a hundred meals. And I was like, what does a hundred meals get us? Like, you know, like we serve 130 people a night at Alinea at like a $500 check average and our infrastructure and labor and rent and all of that is geared around that kind of revenue model, right? I need 500 a day of something guys. And they kept overcomplicating it. And I said, look, people are going to want comfort food. They're going to want simple food that they can take home and make taste great. And yes, we should use the highest quality ingredients like we always do. We should have our cooking, but it should be something really, really, really basic and comfort comfortable. So Grant like did a small beef Wellington and was like, well, that's about as comfort food as you can get. And it still is beautiful. And, but the, the beef on that was coming from 7X Ranch, which is really premium stuff. And it would have cost like 80 bucks a Wellington, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, no, 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 no. The whole thing with dessert and salad and vegetables and all that needs to be 35 bucks. And so he came up with a, a short rib, a braised short rib Wellington, which is actually really creative and awesome. You know, sometimes limitations often limitations give you creative solutions, right? And so by Friday, we did 500 um, braised short rib Wellingtons. Um, by Sunday, we did 750 of them. And by the following Tuesday, we were doing 1,000 a night. 1,000 a night. And this is all yep. on talk. So that's how people can get in and, and actually yeah. order this. Um yeah. And, and then on the talk side, like no, the other, none of like, so like if you're 
a, a sit down restaurant and you try using Grubhub and you're not just putting burgers out the back door, it doesn't really work because the inventory control is completely different, right? The way those kitchens work, the kind of food they're doing is completely different. So we've now got um, about 700 restaurants in the pipeline and about 200 are live um, as far away as Germany and Australia right now. Um, so we not only pivoted our restaurants, we pivoted our software company in, in a week. And so let's talk a little bit about talk to go while we have a few minutes. I want to make sure that we talk about other chains as well, other other restaurant groups. Obviously, you you, met, you mentioned Brian Canlis in Seattle. They're on talk to go yep. still, right? Yep. Um, who are some of the other restaurants that you're seeing make this pivot? Oh, I mean, there's, there's literally hundreds of them. Um, if you go to explore slash to go T O G O, um, you can sort by city and in Chicago alone, we've probably got 50 restaurants now, but, um, pe- people who are doing cool things in Washington, DC, there is a Latin American restaurant called seven reasons that's doing really, really cool stuff. Um, in uh, Los Angeles, and Naka, which is like one of the highest in sushi places in the country, um, they sold out their bento boxes in like two minutes. Um, Atelier Kren in San Francisco is doing, you know, it's, it's literally hundreds and hundreds of restaurants um, around the world because, look, the way to really get people back to work is is to do what we do which is feed people and give them hospitality and and that's as important now as ever before um it's also important and this is really critical because i I think that people don't understand um if you have uh 80 in a city like chicago there's about 8 million people in the metropolitan area and there's about 80 major grocery stores if you shut down carry out um, and, and other f- means of food distribution, those 80 nodes are less, they're more fragile and they're more prone to crowding and they're more prone to an outbreak than if you have 2000 nodes of food distribution. So while you can't keep any single one node perfectly safe, it's like a computer network. Like if you have a five node computer network, that's not as stable as if you had one that had 5,000 nodes. So the people who are calling for, um, you know, every restaurant to be shut for a carry out don't understand, um, you know, the, that sort of logical model. Um, now I will say in New York city, it's very different. Um, in Chicago, we can drive everywhere. Uh, in Los Angeles, people drive in San Francisco, people drive. So all of our stuff is pickup and people stay in their cars and we have two-way text messaging built in talk to go. So when someone pulls up, we know who they are and we bring the food out, they pop their trunk and we put it, we put the food in the, in the trunk and there's no contact. So people are incredibly, it's almost cheerful. Like I hate to say that in the midst of all this, but people are pulling up to Alinea and they're literally giggling like, Hey, I get to get Alinea to go, you know? And our staff is out there, um, you know, gloves, masks, but, you know, it feels good for lack of a better way of saying it. So how many people are back to work right now at Alinea Group? Um, So almost all of our cooks are back to work and we're staggering them around around the clock almost um, so that we have many fewer people in the kitchen at any given one time. And then... uh, about 20% of the front of house. 
and we've brought back a, a bunch of our business support team. So out of the 300, um, about 100 people are, are more or less full-time at this point. And then what we're doing is we are going to utilize um, some of the money that we've made. We're going to you know, keep a, a, a war chest of money for reopening and uh, you know, any other unforeseen thing that might happen in the next couple months. Um, but we're also, you know, as soon as we furloughed everyone, we gave everyone a thousand dollars. Um, so that was $300,000 out, out the door before we even closed. And we're going to keep doing that every couple of weeks. Um, as long as we're busy doing this. So we can't screw up people's unemployment benefits, but when they come back to work, they're going to get a stipend from us. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's not perfect. It's not as good as being open, but it is sustainable. So when you're thinking about the future, and obviously it's still hard to predict despite the, the reams of data that I'm sure you're looking through, when do you think the restaurant industry will be back to whatever the new normal is for the restaurant industry? Yeah, I mean, that depends on how this virus is beaten, right? If there was a, a cure along the lines of like, you know, you get strep throat and you take erythromycin or penicillin or whatever, and a week later you're fine. Um, I think people have, it will be back to normal very quickly because the, the risks are very low. Um, if instead uh, this is a cyclical virus that comes and goes and we have to wait for vaccines and, you know, herd immunity, um, you know, that's years probably. <laughs> Um, that's the one that no one wants to really think about because even with the government program in place to give loans to restaurants to help them reopen, um, and the loans are forgivable, so there's essentially grants, um, it's a lot of money. It's, it's a crazy amount of money. It's $300 billion. That said, it's 10 weeks of payroll is what you're allowed. So if you open up, say, in June or July with half occupancy mandated, and you have to bring back your whole staff because that's what the loan's based on. And you pay them for 10 weeks. What's going to happen in week 11 when your fixed costs and your rent are the same as they were in 2019? But now instead of doing 200 people a night, you can only do 100 people a night. And will there even be 100 people that want to go out to dinner at that point? I would argue probably not, right? There is no good solution until demand comes back. And, uh, you know, it, anyone guess, anyone's guess is when that is, you know, it really depends on which of those two solutions to the problem emerge. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the restaurant industry can recover from this in the United States? What's your time horizon? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> like ever? Of course. But it could take years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It will, it, it will take years because in, in the midst of all of this too, what's, I don't want to use the word interesting, but, but sort of terrifying is how many restaurants have no cash reserves um, or were running and paying their, you know, their bills from four weeks ago with the current revenue from this week. Um, so I think a lot of industries, I mean, that's true with American Airlines too, for that matter, right? Like a lot of businesses were run in a way that um, they were, they, you know, they just didn't plan for for uh you know the downturn and that was true in 08 that was true 
in 1920, you know, eight. So um, I think that, uh, you know, people are just, people have short memories though. And, uh, you know, look, when we are, when we are through this one way or another, will people want to go out to dinner and celebrate their birthdays and anniversaries and all that? Absolutely. You're not going to have robots serving food. So, uh, you know, is it recoverable? Absolutely. What's the time horizon? Who knows? Okay. Before we go, Nick, I just wanted to check in on your own eating patterns. Now that you're at home all the time, what is your go-to guilty pleasure or snack that you, you know, can't get enough of right now? Well, I lost seven pounds last week. Seven Um, pounds. Wow. Yeah, because I I basically have been working 20 hours a day, um, just getting all this stuff up and running. Um, This week, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. My wife is an awesome cook and baker. And, uh, has a lot of time now. So we got fresh sourdough bread yesterday and, um, you know, she's been cooking very healthy. Um, the shout out to the green city market here in Chicago, that's doing curbside pickup for, from all the farmers and whatnot, which is really great. So we have very fortunate that we have a, a great store of food and fresh vegetables and we got a fish delivery today. So, um, so we're eating really nicely and I'm eating less than ever because I'm not snacking, <laughs> um, except for the sourdough, which is delicious on day two. <laughs> All right. Well, Nick Kokonis from Alinea Group and Talk again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Marketer's Brief. Thank you, Jessica. Be well. Me too. I want to thank Jessica today for subbing in for me. She is uh, hosting the Marketer's Brief podcast, which you should subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you've been listening to Ad Lib. We will return shortly. We have been on hiatus and production will be sporadic, but we're still here and we hope you are too. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, stay inside. You know the drill. See you soon.